Hello and welcome to Passive Attack, the Asset First podcast. Steve, how's your eyesight at the moment? Is it okay? Well, on a clear day, I can see Barnard Castle from here, so uh, I think... Perfect. So yeah, that's, that's good to hear. I'm pleased. First point today, economic outlook is bleak to say the least. And indeed, the Bank of England have warned of the worst recession since the great frosts of 1709. It's surprising to think that it could be that bad because I know the frost was particularly chilly, but they're thinking it really is so bad. And yet we're still seeing stock markets performing pretty strongly, having come back a long way from the bottom. Do you think that the Bank of England are overly pessimistic or that markets are overly optimistic? I don't think either of those things, in fact. The Bank of England drew a little criticism for being what the media perceived to be too optimistic. But... The Bank of England wasn't too far away from the consensus. I mean, the Bank of England's wasn't a forecast. It was an illustrative scenario. So they said, OK, here are our uh, premises. Here's what we think are all reasonable assumptions. And in the light of those assumptions, this is what may happen to the economy. So it wasn't a forecast necessarily. And if, if, if you disagreed with any of those assumptions, it allowed you to, to adjust upwards or, or, or downwards. So you got a, 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 an idea of what may or may not happen. So... Uh, and some of those assumptions were really quite straightforward in, in the sense that the bank expected the lockdown to be eased over the three months beginning the start of June. And it looks to me like that's going to happen. So that's a fairly realistic assumption. It also assumed a big, big declines in the second quarter, which again seemed quite likely. And then it assumed that people's behaviour was going to be uh, sub-normal for 12 months or so. So that I didn't see anything overly optimistic in, in the Bank of England's scenario that they set out and doesn't happen to be a million miles away from the, uh, from the consensus. So my understanding of, of the new forecast that I can see the median is for a, a, an expected decline of something like 8.5% this year, followed by a bounce next year of, uh, of a little over six. So in that forecast, if we were to take those medians as meaningful, then we don't quite catch up what we lose this year, next year. But we do soonish after in the, in the following year. Now, I, I'm slightly more optimistic than that. So I think we've got a good chance of catching up what we lose this year, next year. Uh, I think the, the third quarters and the fourth quarters this year, you're going to see some stunning numbers. I mean, just as, just as we're going to see records broken on the way down in the second quarter, we'll also see records broken on the way up. To some extent, as far as the markets are concerned, I, I'm not convinced that it matters that much whether within we are within a percentage point here or there you know and the second quarter is going to be so bad that it, it doesn't really matter whether we lose 16% or 17% or 18% or or, or more I, i'm not sure that that the actual expectations for the second quarter are are really underpinning stock market prices today Please. so if we had a 18% contraction in the economy where would you see the stock market being if the economy was down 18% it depends on, on how quickly you're going to see a recovery set in. So the stock market is not the economy. So if we say the FTSE 100, the FTSE 100 is a large company with diverse sources of income and it's, it, of earnings. It's just not. It's not really reflective of the British economy. So there's a big disconnect between the two things in, in the first instance. The stock market is, is priced on all manner of things. Basically, what's important is, is the level at which earnings grow over time and the interest rate that you use to discount those earnings back to the present to give a to give a price. Those are I mean, there are other things that are important, like 
risk premia and, and, and things like that. But I don't think even the most pessimistic of people really expect earnings to be, to be hit for more than a year. If you look at over the long term, a big decline in earnings this year is it's not that important. I mean, it's, it's important, but it's not. It, what really counts is the, uh, the pace at which you recover the lost earnings and the period of time that you begin to recover those earnings. So you can you can see that stock market valuations are underpinned by a low interest rate because so if if, if say the ten year longer term interest rates I'm talking about rather than bank rates so if if longer term interest rates are low that has the effect of increasing the present value of of future earnings so that underpins stock markets and low interest rates are not going anywhere anytime soon and earnings ought to recover or at least the hit to earnings is, is not likely to last a very long time. I mean, obviously, with different parts of the stock market, you know, different sectors are going to be affected uh, to varying degrees. You know, some, some sectors are benefiting from what's going on, others are badly hit by it. So there's a, there's a sort of aggregated effect too. So whether we see a bigger than expected decline in the second quarter, I don't think is really going to affect asset prices that much. Equally, if we get a much better outcome in the second quarter. I don't think that that's necessarily going to stir asset prices higher either. So I, I think the disconnect between what's going on in the broad economy and what's going on in the stock market now is really quite wide. We've seen a real unprecedented tidal wave of cheap money from central banks trying to just keep liquidity, keep markets functioning correctly, which they seem to be doing. It seems quite impressive what they're doing. But at such unprecedented levels, this time, is this a real inflation threat? Well, it doesn't follow necessarily. So it's not true to say that just because we've got intervention from the central bank on, on the scales that we, we currently have, it, it doesn't follow that we will get higher in, in inflation. So I'm, I'm open-minded on, on this. And we don't actually know whether the intervention that we've seen already is the bulk of what we will see. We may see much more intervention in, in, in future. Who knows? So... Um, all I know is that it, it's, it's not a secator. It doesn't necessarily follow that high inflation is going to be a net result of the interventions that either, you know, either fiscal intervention or monetary intervention. The current environment very clearly is deflationary so, or, or disinflationary. It's, it's certainly disinflationary. It may become deflationary. Here's the sequence. We get a disinflationary period, which lasts maybe until the end of the year. And then after that, we get a threat from deflation, depending on the extent to which we recover, or we get an in, uh, a reflationary environment. So if the disinflation takes us towards zero, I'm not saying it will, but let's, let's say that we head towards zero by the end of the year, we're then going to see a reflationary period. So we're going to see higher inflation after that if we get the recovery that we expect. And that'll be baked into the cake. We will see higher inflation at some stage. Whether we see high inflation or not really depends on, on what our terms are. So if we're talking about sustained above target inflation, that's possibly a risk. I'm willing to, to accept the chances that we get slightly above target inflation. I think to, to make a leap towards very high rates of inflation, the Bank of England's target range is between 1% and 3%. Okay, It's targeting 2%, but it, the governor has to write a groveling letter 
to the Chancellor if it goes above three or below one. He has to explain what he's going to do to bring it back within those bounds in, in the medium term, whatever the medium term is. But for me to to bring in as a realistic scenario that inflation is going to be above 3% for anything like a, a very small period of time, then a short period of time, then I'm, we have to see an awful lot more happen. You know, it, it, it won't just be because of, of, of the current level of intervention from the Bank of England, and it won't be because of the level of government uh, government debt. That's so could it be from the prospect of uh, leaving the EU with no trade deal and increasing tariffs? Yeah, I mean, stuff like that. I mean, then again, that's a, that's a, that's a one-off event. So if, if you take, for example, um, we had sort of above target inflation in, in the UK following the referendum. Uh, 16 in, yeah. was it 2016 crikey yeah june 2016 so the pound took a bit of a bit of a hit in that in the post-referendum weeks and uh, given the, the the big decline in in sterling's exchange rate that had the effect of increasing inflation imported prices most particular and cpi was above target for a for a period of time but that's that's a one-off event it was a you know it, it was a decline in the pound in the immediate aftermath of the referendum that wasn't subsequently recovered, and that had the effect of increasing inflation for a year. But the Bank of England didn't do anything about it. Uh, uh, it didn't do anything about it because, A, there was no need to do anything about it, and B, there was nothing that they could do about it. If you just take that period of time, so imagine I'm buying pencils from, I'm importing pencils from you in France, and uh, you're charging me uh, uh, the equivalent of one pound for those pencils. And then the pound drops by 10%. Now those pencils are going to cost me £1.10. Uh, but inflation is just a year-on-year arrest. So a year later, I'm comparing uh, the price at one pound ten with the price at pound ten. So inflation is zero. So CPI will come back towards target, or at least the influence from the decline in sterling in the event that we, you, you postulated. The, the central bank won't do anything about it because it, it'll just drop out the calculation for a year. So we might have a, in in this scenario, what I'm I'm using the word sustained high inflation quite specifically because you know there are one-off events that can lead to above target inflation, but they the sort of maximum length of time that tends to happen is for, is for a year or so. So sustained high inflation seems quite unlikely to me at this stage. Like I said, I'm very open-minded because. One of the reasons I'm determined to remain open-minded about that is because asset prices are very sensitive to the inflation outlook. And the, the transmission mechanism for that is via interest rates. So in, in this period of very, very low interest rates, which I think we're locked into for a while, but if, if we do get sustained high inflation, that will give rise to a, a fairly abrupt end to this, this environment of very low interest rates that we've been in for a long time. And I do think in, uh, asset prices will be... Uh, much more sensitive to that, so it's 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 a it's a very very serious risk. The uh, your reasoning sounds very sound, although I'm a bit unsettled about why you'd be buying pencils from France when you've got the Cumberland pencil factory just down the road. Surely are they in trouble? Should we be selling our Cumberland shares? I want to talk now about property. Just want to ask the question about the wisdom of having a neutral exposure to property at a time when there seem to be some very strong headwinds um, relating to how people are changing their habits both in relation to internet shopping and social distancing and whether this might have a prolonged effect on property demand going forwards thoughts on this i'm not anticipating 
a very long hangover. In terms of a modification of people's behaviour, I'm not anticipating that that is something that we need to factor in for the very long term. So like I said, most forecasts at the moment are sort of including a sort of 12-month impairment in people's normal behaviour. I'm happy to go along with that, but I, I happen to think it'll be shorter. So there, there were trends that were apparent pre-pandemic that perhaps the pandemic will accelerate. But I, I don't think there are a new set of trends that will be born from the pandemic. So you might, you know, so the, the declines in, in retail property spaces were apparent pre-pandemic and maybe the pandemic has accelerated them a little bit, but, but I'm not anticipating any brand new trends post. could be that warehousing is a major beneficiary of, of what's going on because people will still shop. It's just the, the way in which they shop. So other, other parts of the property market might benefit from that. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm reasonably happy with the, withholding risky assets. REITs are, are, are definitely risky assets. So that in, REITs ought to be viewed really as a as a sector within the equity market. They're an equity-like asset for all intents and purposes. So, And I'm, I'm broadly speaking unhappy with the price of risky assets. Okay. We have specific exposure to UK equity income stocks. And with the headwinds and the pressures against paying out dividends and therefore perhaps the difficulty in finding quality equity income to be in such a portfolio, is this still a holding that we want to have in the, in the portfolios? Might we look to disperse to less income-orientated stocks for our equity exposure? I don't see any problem with with our current holdings whatsoever. We're full cycle investors, right? Which means that we view the outlook in terms of a full cycle. So if you if you take a big bear market and you 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 go obviously you lose money in the bear market, you make money in the recovery, you get an expansion period, then you get close to another contraction period. That's a full cycle. So you go from contraction to recovery to expansion to slowdown and then to contraction again. We're going to hold the assets that we've got in the portfolio throughout that full, the full four phases of that of that outlook. But there are times when we would want more of various assets and maybe slightly less of various assets. We're following the old adage. I mean, there's nothing new this time round uh, as, as far as this stock market cycle is concerned. We've seen it all before. Things are relatively temporary affairs. We're going to see a hit from dividends. There are some companies inside the indexes, inside the uh, the assets that we hold, that aren't going to do very well at all, and there are some that are going to do very well in, in, indeed. And we're not going to mess around uh, too much with our with our risky holdings at this moment in time. Broadly speaking, we're, we're happy with valuations, especially valuations in the UK. There is a there is a huge, huge in in my estimation, there is a huge uh, margin for error in 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 the price of UK equities at this moment in time. So they've been sort of, they've been uh, double hit really, or, or triple hit. You can, when you can count the number of uncertainties that have been driven into the price of, of, of UK stocks, uh, to the extent now that I, I, I think they offer, they're, they're so attractive that they're, they're, they're completely unequaled um, from any peer uh, uh, any peer investment. So if you if you take the S and P five hundred, it looks to me like it's about fairly priced. You know, I'm, I'm not saying it's overpriced or anything like that. I mean, it's it's stunning enough that I'm saying that the S and P five hundred is about fair price given um, 
given the economic data that's going to uh, going to roll in in the next few months. But as far as the UK equity market is concerned, it's 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 very very acutely undervalued in my view. So I, I don't think a, a rotation of, of of our UK holdings is warranted for any reason. And I, I don't buy into the um, uh, to the notion that that these these cuts in dividends alter the uh, alter the long term prognosis. As far as we we are concerned, so we won't we won't be buying more of them at this moment in time. But certainly selling them at the, yeah that would be it, it, I, I don't think that would be a wise thing. To do. So final subject today is your your favourite subject, but probably your um, least favourite question: bond markets favourite subject, least favourite question. Yields are really low, they can only go up, surely we should be getting rid. The answer we've seen for a long time is that we've expected that interest rates would stay lower for longer and indeed could turn negative. But they are really low and we have had some tremendous returns off them in the last few months. I know they're an insurance policy. We've got some investors right now asking us and saying, well, you know, we, we'd we like to keep our equity exposure and perhaps up it at the expense of fixed interest to try and maximise on returns as we come out of this. The fixed income is in the portfolio for two reasons. The first is to make money in the long term. Uh, it is a portfolio of investments after all, and I'm comfortable that fixed income affords us that opportunity. And the second reason that certainly the government bond side are in the portfolio is, is to hedge out large declines in the equity market. And I, I don't need to remind anybody about why we need to do that at this moment in time. And it, so, so what happens is that they afford you the opportunity to rebalance, to get back into equities at, at, um, at lower prices. So, now, I've got some sympathy if, if, if people wanted to take greater risks at this moment in time. I, you know, that's, that's not an unwise uh, decision, subject to the usual financial planning constraints, capacity for loss, tolerance, and all those kind of things, near-term liabilities, etc. We probably are going to make some changes in the post-pandemic world. Because if, you, if we take that second element, the hedging the large declines in, in equity markets, there is a little bit of nonsense being spoken at the moment. There are some people suggesting that because interest rates are so low, then the opportunity to diversify large declines in the equity market is limited, but it's not limited. So if you take the 10-year yield at 20 basis points, zero is not its terminal yield. You know, it it can yield negative 120 basis points in the worst of circumstances. And I'm reasonably confident that that's going to happen. So it's it's not the, the ability to diversify that is the problem. It is the cost of doing so. So if, if you go back pre-pandemic and we had a, a 10-year guilt yield of, of approaching 2%, that's fine. If you think about what's happening there, we, we are hedging out big declines in the equity market and we're being paid 2% for it. Post-pandemic world, it, the Bank of England is going to hold long-term interest rates low. It, I mean, they'll drift up naturally, uh, but the Bank of England will be reasonably keen on holding long-term interest rates quite low for a period of time, maybe a few years. So we're going to be paid less and less and actually sub-fee levels of, of, of returns for hedging out that equity element. So uh, we probably will want to make some changes um, in the post-pandemic world to try and limit the cost of hedging. Part of that process will also be maybe taking a little bit more risk in the fixed income side towards, you know, hedging towards high yield. We will be making some changes in, in the fixed income elements of the portfolios, but 
you know, we're not selling fixed income. We're not um, we're not going to be taking a step away from this this very important diversification element. I love it when our conclusion after twenty odd minutes of chat is that we think our portfolios are basically in the right place, and I think that's where we are. Everything's recovering nicely from the bottom of the markets that we saw, and pleased to see that clients are actually holding their nerve and riding through. And, and what I'm sure will prove when we come through this at the other end will prove to be in the right course of action for longer term investors. So thank you, Steve, and thank you, everyone, for listening. And I'll catch you again next time. Thank you.